Welcome to the 25th installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's audio magazine podcast. Ear to the Ground features interviews and field reports related to sustainable agriculture, family farming, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm your host, Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. The argument is often made that profitable farming and top-quality wildlife habitat don't mix. If we want to leave areas for birds, mammals, and even frogs, goes this argument, the best thing to do is to create isolated wildlife refuges where no economic activity takes place. That way, farmers can be free to intensively cultivate every inch of their operations without having to worry about wetlands, shelter belts, and grassy nesting areas. This philosophy of land management views farms as sacrifice areas as far as wildlife habitat and other environmental benefits are concerned. But Martin and Loretta Jaus are proving that profitable farming and wildlife are not mutually exclusive, and they don't see their farm as an environmental sacrifice area at all. The Jaus's produce certified organic milk for Organic Valley on 410 acres in western Minnesota. They bought the farm from Martin's family in 1990. Before returning to the farm, Martin and Loretta got degrees in wildlife biology and habitat management and worked on a private wildlife refuge near Chicago for a time. Soon after taking over the farm, they set to work blending agricultural productivity and wildlife habitat restoration by establishing trees, grasses, and other perennial plant species utilizing various government cost-share programs. In fact, over the years, the Jousses have planted five miles of tree shelter belts alone. These trees provide wildlife habitat, but also shelter their rotationally grazed cows and prevent soil erosion on their crop fields. They've even planted native prairie grasses in their grazing pastures. The Jousses also use careful crop rotations to build up their subterranean wildlife, soil organisms. And since they are organic, there are no pesticides present on their farm to kill off insects. That means there is plenty of food for birds and other species to thrive on. Perhaps the crown jewel of their wildlife habitat restoration efforts is an 11-acre area that consists of wetland and prairie. This habitat, which was established on prime cropland in 1993, has become a hotbed for numerous species of wildlife. I recently visited the Jouses, and they gave me a tour of their farm. At one point, we stopped by the 11 acres of wetland and prairie to watch, listen, and talk about the idea of farms as natural habitats. This is... 10, 11 acres of some of the richest farmland in this part of the county, probably the country, maybe the Midwest. And um, back in 93, we did some excavating and um, decided to restore this as a wetland, um, which was kind of one of the predominant features in this area historically. This was kind of the prairie pothole region. So we did that, and um, I think people were maybe questioning that financially but to us it just made good sense because it's important for us to have diverse numbers and species of animals and plants on our farm um, and what happened the first year and, and some of that was you know kind of weather factors which which helped us out immensely but we built the wetland and that fall um, there, the sky was just black with migrating ducks coming through here. And since then, we have 
probably not anything quite as dramatic as that first year, but consistently waterfowl and different species of mammals and many different kinds of songbirds. In fact, when we first walked out here, you could have heard a clay-colored sparrow. I think he took off when we got out here, but that's kind of an unusual um, find. We had a researcher from South Dakota State University that uh, came out studying the farm a few years ago and was excited to have found, um, found that here. And especially amphibians. I mean, we noticed a severe decline in amphibian population since we first moved to, to the family farm in 1980. Um, and these wetlands and other conservation projects we've done, we've seen things, um, you know, kind of bounding back and are really excited about that because amphibians are what we know as an indicator species, which kind of lets you know the overall health of your environment. So we're excited to see them doing well again. Over the course of the years, we have about 200 birds that bird species that visit our farm. Either they they nest here during the summer, they they stop here during during migration, or they winter here. So we have quite a few varieties to pick from. Um, some of the ones that excite us a little bit more are one you may have heard on this audio was the clay-colored sparrow because they needed a, a real specific habitat, and, uh, and they're finding it here. Um, another one is the orchard orioles. Um, We've never saw them until maybe 10 years ago, and now we have a pretty good population of them. They're they're not just on our main farm place, but they're out in our fields. So um, that's kind of unusual. Um, We have a lot of grassland birds here. Almost every species that we probably can have here, we have on our farm. We've had a couple interesting ones. Last year year and this year, we've had uh, cattle egrets in our pastures, which I didn't know... would be up here. We have shrikes on our property, which are pretty rare. Can you think of any more, Loretta? Well, not for birds, but as far as mammals, they range from deer to fox, of course, coon, rabbit, all the common ones. Um, yeah, we have the jumping mice, a lot, a lot of shrews. We have a lot of variety in the in the mammals too. So, I know one wildlife sighting you guys were particularly excited about was the orchard oriole when you first saw that. Um, even though you guys know your wildlife and know your birds, uh, you didn't recognize it when you first saw it, did you? Yeah, we were. We had to get out the books and try and track that one down, and then we're excited to see in there where in, in our old field guide it said that they preferred unsprayed orchards. So that for us was a, a huge payback for our conservation efforts. When an orchard oriole knows the difference between our farm and, and others, it really made us feel quite good. I think this is how we measure the success on our farm, by, by the wildlife. If, if the place is good for the wildlife, then we know it's good for us. And we've, we've attained this with still keeping a viable farming operation going, and mm-hmm. so there's room for both. So. What I'm impressed by is that not only do you have these special areas set aside for wildlife habitat, but that you've also integrated, um, I guess, ecologically sound lands management into your daily farming operation, uh, whether it be in your rotational grazing system or your uh, cropping system. And, you know, you've done it in a way that kind of benefits you economically but also really helps uh, wildlife, water quality, that type of thing. Can you talk a little bit about that? Definitely. um, The the conservation efforts that we've made on the farm have helped with the farming operation. And probably the best example you mentioned is is, – preventing the soil erosion. We're, we're very flat here. It was originally tall grass prairie, 
and uh, the wind comes across from the west and the northwest, and it just it will take anything with it that's not fastened down. So, with the the measures we've done here with more permanent vegetative cover and just working hard, um, focusing on the the living organisms and and considering our soil as a living viable organism. Um, that diminishes the the impact of wind and water erosion that we see, which obviously helps your cropland. And I think in terms of the, the plant and animal diversity, um, we don't have... We're, we're able to break a lot of the pest cycles in our cropland because of the diversity here. And a lot of the animals um, that we have here help... Uh, with like insect control around we've got tree swallows uh, all over around the pasture land who help with the insects and the flies and you had mentioned um pastures brian and uh normally when you think of conservation projects you, th you think of an area like this where it's just set aside for wildlife but uh, a well-managed pasture is also a conservation area you've got grass growing in there which the, the animals can utilize you got you know, protection for your soils, you know, and anytime you have a legume or a grass that's that's perennial, they're, they're soil builders, not just depleters, so so you're building your whole soil, not just not just what you see on the top, so and on our, our acres that we crop, um, there's kind of a basic formula that's in place, all, all row crops are soil depleters, small grains are pretty much soil neutral, and your perennial grass and legumes are soil builders so with our with our crop rotation with what we include in it at least on those acres we try to be soil neutral so so some years we deplete some years we build up so we hope to be about even there so yeah. and then with our pastures and so forth those are all soil building years so we're on a six-year crop rotation, so it's like corn, soybeans, corn, then small grain with alfalfa interseeded, and then alfalfa for the next two years. So over the course of that rotation, yeah, everything balances out, so you aren't um, robbing the bank. <laughs> The Jousses concede their neighbors thought they were crazy when they took those 11 acres out of production. But over the years, people in the neighborhood have come to enjoy the wildlife in this land of corn and soybeans. Some of those neighbors are even restoring some wildlife habitat of their own. For more on how farming and wildlife can coexist, check out the book The Farm as Natural Habitat, Reconnecting Food Systems with Ecosystems. Edited by LSP's Dana Jackson, along with her daughter, Laura Jackson, an ecology professor. Information on the book is available at www.landstewardshipproject.org. Just click on Programs and follow the links to our Agroecology section. Send your comments and suggestions about this podcast to me, Brian DeVore, at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org. You can also call me at 612-729-6294. A special thank you goes out to Laura Borgendale, a Western Minnesota musician who provided Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a very special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who have made initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member and would like to support us, go to landstewardshipproject.org to learn how to join LSP. Thanks for listening.